0: Hello and welcome to Paws Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. We're still healthy and still recording, and we hope this podcast brings you comfort. Follow updates from cdc.gov and your state's Department of Health, and seek out only accurate, science-based, and up-to-date information on the pandemic. But also, if you can, take moments for self-care every day. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside, and stay positive. Today, we're excited to have our friend Rachel back to discuss the Hulu series, Shrill. And you, KW, are going to talk about your new novella, The Skittering. I am, yes. Uh, But first, Shrill, which I have since finished watching in the time between our recording of this interview and now, and I really loved it. Oh, cool.
1: Well, let's get to it.
0: So we're here with Rachel Porter to talk about the Hulu TV series, Shrill. So Rachel, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Hi, I'm so happy to be on the pod. So I'm a licensed psychologist, and I work with clients primarily who experience eating disorders. And I have particular focus points around binge eating disorder, around weight stigma, around fat acceptance. I myself am a fat woman, I identify as fat. And I use that word really specifically because I think it's important that we reclaim it as a subjective descriptor that does not have any kind of other connotations. While it has been a very effectively weaponized word, I don't think it has to be a weapon against me when I own it. And that feels much better.
0: Awesome. Well, great. And so you've been watching Shrill. I've watched most of the whole series. And Carrie, you've seen how much of the show have you seen?
1: One episode and I started episode two right before this okay
2: <laughs> and I have seen all of it okay I have not however read the book upon which it is based by Lindy West it's been on my to read list forever and I just still haven't but now that I'm spending a little extra time in my home it might just be time <laughs> that I do that <laughs> that's
0: awesome
1: for sure yeah I started the audiobook. Like I told you guys before, Mm -hmm. I listen to a lot of audiobooks while driving, and obviously I don't do that a lot, so I haven't gotten super far, but it is very good so far.
2: Lindy West is hilarious. She was on a little documentary called Fatitude, which is a fantastic documentary film about fat portrayal in media and the different ways in which it's portrayed, and she is hysterically funny, so... I'm excited to read her book eventually. And I highly recommend that film for anyone who can find it.
0: Awesome. Does Lindy West read the audiobook, Carrie? She does. Awesome. That's great. I I used to read her work a lot when she wrote for Jezebel, because I still am an avid reader of Jezebel, but I used to read it a lot more around the era that she was a writer there. And I love her writing. So I just haven't gotten around to the actual book yet. But Yeah, it's based on her book, um, Shrill Notes from a Loud Woman, which was released in 2016. And Lindy West, in addition to writing for Jezebel, has written for The Stranger, which is Seattle's alternative weekly newspaper, which very much mirrors the alternative weekly newspaper that she writes for in the TV show. And yeah, a lot of her work is about feminism, fat acceptance, etc. And uh, her writing is very, very sharp, very funny. So that will be on my to read list as well. So the TV adaptation of her book which is only called shrill it doesn't have the the subtitle there came out on Hulu in March of last year 2019 and the second season premiered January of this year and I just read I just read right before we started that they did renew it for a third season which was going to start next year so
2: I just read that too and that renewal only happened like 2 days ago yes so it was- the one good thing out of the month of March, (laughs) as far as I can tell.
0: I think so. That's awesome. So Rachel, why don't you, since you're the one who has seen all of the series, can you maybe give us just a tiny little bit about the premise and I can help you out if you need help?
2: Sure. So it stars Aidy Bryant, who is in Saturday Night Live, I think primarily before Shrill. And she plays Annie. Annie is a plus size woman. She is working for a little independent newspaper called Thorn. She lives with her best friend, Fran. She has a boyfriend, Ryan. And the first season is really about Annie's kind of entry into fat acceptance and accepting her body. She even at the beginning of the first season isn't necessarily dieting or trying hard to change her body. She just clearly still has a lot of internalized fat phobia she's struggling with. And she's realizing more and more sort of the ways in which society and systems are structured to not serve fat women. One of the best examples of that happens at the beginning of the series when she has had unprotected sex with her boyfriend, which we will get way more into the boyfriend. And she goes to get a morning after pill and she takes it and then later finds out she's pregnant despite that, because morning after pills are only most effective for women under, I want to say 180 pounds, but I'm not 100% sure about that weight. So it's not tested or particularly effective for women above a certain weight. So that's kind of the entry. And then season one is her entry into fat acceptance and acceptance of herself. Season two is much broader and that becomes less of a central piece and it's a larger story, both about Annie and it thankfully starts to focus more on her best friend Fran as well.
0: Fran is awesome. Fran is played by Lolly Edaphopi, and she's a British actress with a beautiful voice. And there's an episode in season two where she sings karaoke and it's amazing.
2: Oh, God, it's the best.
0: I was like kind of laugh crying during that scene. It was just really empowering and also cute and surreal. Yeah, she becomes a little bit more of a of a slight focus. I do want to talk a little bit about Annie's boss, Gabe, who's played by mm. John Cameron Mitchell, who is best known for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And he's just kind of a, a very interesting actor and interesting character. But he is very problematic in certain ways and shows how a gay man who thinks he's a feminist can kind of fail at that occasionally.
2: Fail spectacularly. He has an interesting... Kind of arc in season two as well season two does a great job of focusing on characters other than annie like annie definitely still has her the central story she's certainly still at the middle of it but it does a really nice job of focusing on more more characters at thorn so gabe is one Amadi, who is a co-worker and friend of annie's is another one that gets some more focus fran gets a much bigger story and even Annie's parents, who are featured pretty regularly in the show, have more to do and get more personal stories.
0: Hmm. Another thing that I like about the show is that a lot of the episodes are directed by women, not all of them, but many. There's episodes directed by Carrie Brownstein, who's best known for Portlandia, an episode directed by Natasha Leone, um, and several other slightly lesser known female directors. But And AD Bryant is also one of the writers, as well as being Mm -hmm. one of the performers. So most of the writing staff is uh, female. There's a lot of people of color on the writing staff. So that, I like that too. But I think, Rachel, you wanted to also talk about Ryan a little bit.
2: Yeah. And before I jump into that, and one of the writers is Samantha Irby, who is just incredible. And she wrote probably the episode of the show that most people got fully drawn in by and was most powerful called pool. And that's the episode in season one where Annie goes to a fat babe pool party and you see her just kind of glow into this empowerment moment as a fat person. It's really great. But Ryan is Annie's boyfriend and he represents someone who is fairly problematic in many ways In season one, he literally makes her sneak into his house by going over the back gate and sneaking in through the back door so no one else will see her. Okay. Because he is embarrassed of her size and embarrassed to be so attracted to her and so into her. And she, on the other hand, doesn't seem to think that she could have a loving relationship with anyone who truly respected her or... Loved her for all of who she is. And they have quite an arc together, I guess is all I'll say. Yeah, <laughs> But it's an interesting dynamic to watch unplay. play. And I think one that a lot of people and particularly a lot of fat people can kind of relate to in this idea of, well, if I don't stay with this person, who else is going to be into me? Who else is going to, you know, say they love me? So I should probably tolerate these things that are actually intolerable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to go back. I want to circle back just a tiny bit to the episode pool that you mentioned that was Mm -hmm. directed by Shaka King. And just in terms of being a different kind of episode, because this is technically a sitcom, like we're kind of describing a lot of heavy subjects, but it's also really funny. And it is much more of a, a comedy than not. But there's also some beautiful cinematography in that episode, including uh, like underwater photography and stuff. And that's generally something that I also really like about the show is that it's beautifully shot, but it still feels really naturalistic Mm -hmm. and real. And I think it really, I think it's set in Seattle. Am I correct there?
2: I think so. Yeah.
0: It just makes everything look really beautiful, like the scenery, and yet still kind of gritty and real. So I think that I, what I most like about it is that it's very... (sighs) it's not a very traditional series at all. And the fact that it's just on Hulu for having such good production values, that's really unique. So
2: Mm -hmm. it does have great production value. And I want to comment while we're talking about that on the costumes, Mm. Annie's wardrobe is fantastic. I just, I want all of her clothes, (laughs) (laughs) but each character is dressed so very much like themselves. And again, like Fran is also a plus size woman, the best friend Mm -hmm. and, she is dressed incredibly well as well. So they're fashionable, fat women. Every character is dressed so much like themselves and their character is so well defined by their clothes. So shout out to the costume design as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And even minor characters like their co-worker Ruthie, who's kind of an unpleasant woman, but she's really funny and she's a trans woman. And she is dressed always very impeccably and elegantly, but very young, mm-hmm. which also kind of mirrors her personality. She's a little bit shallow and quirky, but her parents are also like shown as being a little bit like sort of aging hipster dress, but very parent dress too. Like, I don't know, the attention to detail in the cotton and Ryan's a- outfits are very, this is a man who has no job and it's very clear through his wardrobe. <laughs>
2: He's very slovenly. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes.
0: But yeah, just the, oh, and how Gabe is always sort of, sort of t-shirt chic. He's very like, oh, I'm just the cool boss. So he just wears t-shirts and jeans, but they're very Mm -hmm. purposeful. So it's very, it's very well detailed.
2: It really is. And I'm glad you identified that it's a comedy. I am talking about it really seriously. And I get so much joy from this show. Yeah. It's funny. It's warm. It's delightful. The episode pool is pure joy. Like I just grinned the whole way through And what's really cool, just so everyone knows, is these fat babe pool parties really happen. They're things that are put on all across the country that are just pool parties that are primarily for fat-identified folks and a place for them to really feel comfortable and able to wear bathing suits without fear of judgment and just be free to be themselves. There's also uh, fat kid dance parties across the country. It's really fun. It's a part of community that's really cool. Cool.
1: Yeah, I, d- I didn't know that. I'm sorry I haven't chimed in a lot, but...
2: I hope we haven't spoiled you too much. <laughs> no, no, you've actually made me want to
1: go back and continue it, so thank you. You're
2: welcome. It is, it's, <laughs> it's really
0: joyful. There's also there's also moments that are what I would call cringe comedy, things that have a little bit of a high embarrassment squick level, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they don't usually end badly, No, which I... Find refreshing. There's there's moments when you're like, oh man. But something that I think is interesting is that it's not usually Annie who is sort of the target or recipient of anything truly cringy. It's more sort of her reactions to other people having things. I I don't know. I they do it slightly differently, and I'm not sure how to describe it. It's almost more subversive. When I think of cringe comedy, I think of like Curb Your Enthusiasm or even Seinfeld or. Louis C.K.'s old show, where it's more the the protagonist who's committing acts that put him in a situation that is going to end badly for him. And you have to kind of watch it unravel in slow motion. And it's like a car wreck. And I think there's moments like that in this show. But they don't go to that level. And it's not usually her making a bad decision. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and agreed. She certainly makes some bad decisions. Another thing I like about this show is Annie is certainly the protagonist and also she's pretty selfish. She's not just universally easily likable, in my opinion. She's got some pretty significant flaws, and that's also allowed and called out and like examined and explored too in ways that are very deft.
0: Yeah. And and as you mentioned with story arcs, people are allowed to grow and change and do so not slowly, which is refreshing. It's it's kind of like there's there's lessons to be learned that you kind of – it's not like they're so dumb and cartoonish that it takes them eight seasons to figure something out. They kind of get there a little faster, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. I think that's more realistic.
2: And they stay there. Yeah. It's not like they learn a lesson in an episode and then the next episode they're back to whatever they were. Right. And I really like that. And that's – I mean, these are two short seasons. Season one is six episodes. Season two is eight They're 20 to 22 minute episodes long. So things move quickly and it's very tightly written. Yes, very much so. So
0: I think, yeah, Carrie, I think this is absolutely your kind of show for many reasons. And I think if you keep going, you'll really dig it.
1: Okay. Sounds good. I'm excited to get back to it now. Yeah.
0: I think I've been watching it very slowly and I did this with season one as well because the seasons are so short. So I kind of don't want to something that I'm really enjoying. I don't always want to binge it that quickly. Sometimes I do. And, and, Obviously, lately with our new current normal, it's easier to binge through something really quickly. <laughs> but with this, especially with season one, I kind of took my time with it. And I'm glad I did because it paid off. And it also made it so that season two seemed like it, oh, it's already out. So hooray, it hasn't been that long. But I'm already yeah. on episode 10 of 14. So I'll probably finish it pretty soon.
2: Yeah, I do that with these kinds of shows too. I try to savor them and like space them out. I only finished season two, maybe three weeks ago. So. Oh, okay.
0: Cool. Oh, back in the back in the before times.
2: <laughs> uh, just at the beginning. times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, any other things that we want to add for this other than that we highly recommend it?
2: Highly recommend it. I could certainly keep going about a number of things, but I don't know that we need to spend that much more time. Everyone should definitely watch Shrill, though. It's really fun. It's you will know, bring some joy to your heart and some maybe new thoughts to your brain.
0: Awesome. Thank okay. you so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you for having me. This was a delight. Awesome.
1: It's always so fun talking to Rachel, but now, KW, just a few weeks ago, you released a new novella called The Skittering. So tell us about that. I've read early versions of it. I haven't read the finished version yet, but tell us about it.
0: Okay, so this is part of a series that I started a long, long, long time ago. I think I actually wrote the first the first little bits of this series way back in like, oh my goodness, I don't even... It would just age me so much to actually say, so I will refrain, but it's been a long time. And so I've published um, the first two parts of the series in 2014. They consist of The Red Eye, which came out in 2014. And then there's a little prequel novelette called The House on Concordia Drive, which I released um, just a few, I think, months after the first full-length novel. And so The Skittering follows the events of The Red Eye. And basically the premise, um, The Red Eye and The House on Concordia Drive were published by Alliteration Inc., uh, which unfortunately has since gone out of business. So technically, The Red Eye and The House on Concordia Drive are out of print right now. I'm hoping to rectify that soon. But I decided to go ahead and release the skittering. I self-published the skittering. Since people are home and, and you know, need some reading material and whatnot, I released it as a Kindle-exclusive ebook. So that's the, the main way to, to read it right now. But hopefully I'm planning on trying to package these into an omnibus with a with a third full-length piece, or I guess a second full-length piece, and release it with a new name and, and hopefully get a new publisher for that. But in the meantime, the Skittering really does stand alone, and the really the only setup you need to know is that this series is about a disc jockey named Sam Brody, and he hosts a late-night radio show called The Red Eye, which is about debunking the supernatural, except that he is a telekinetic. So he himself has supernatural abilities. And in the first book, he's revealed to use those abilities to slay dragons. But there's no dragons in the skittering. There's no dragons in the skittering. That doesn't mean there's not monsters. (laughs) And in the skittering, he and his producer, who is also his girlfriend, Heather, they go to a podcasting convention. And pretty much as soon as they arrive, somebody goes missing. One of the organizers of the convention knows that he does do investigations into strange things. And so she taps Sam to help her find this guy who's gone missing. And it kind of goes from there with craziness and explosions and magic and creatures and stress. And it all takes place, though, in like one evening. So it is very compact and it's not a super, super long read. Like I said, it's a novella. It's just eighty-eight pages long, so it's longer than a short story, but it is, you know, a little bit, you know, it's a novella. It's in-between length. So, I'd always planned it as a novella. It was never a full-length novel that that got shorter, and it was never a short story that got out of hand. It was always very carefully planned as a novella. But I have been writing that off and on for several years. So, in the current times of cloistering and stuff, I I put a big push on it and went ahead and finished it. So, yeah. Nice. I totally understand the process
1: of kind of working on something, putting it down, working on something again. So this is probably not a super relevant question since you worked over it on it for so long. But is your process for novellas different than your process for novels?
0: Um, not necessarily. I tend to work in, I kind of work to a word count and I create outlines for myself based on the type of Story I want to tell regardless of the length, but then I make those plot beats happen in a more compressed time if it's a short story or a novella versus if it's a Mm -hmm. novel. Does that make sense? I think I used, I think I actually used, I'm working on a long novel right now that is still in progress and it's planned to be 90 to 100,000 words and I'm about at 50 or 60 or so right now. And um, I think I used actually the same plot beat outline for that as I did this. Interesting. Yeah. But in the novel it's funny because I was kind of working at the on the end of the skittering at the same time as the novel and it's interesting that I do notice that there's a lot more I'm able to include in in terms of deeper world building details, scene building, having characters take a little bit longer to figure things out in the novel versus in this everything was like boom boom boom, we've gotta and I still d- describe stuff, but it's it is a little bit more plot and character focused than scene building if that makes sense right yeah it does
1: so is this a plot outline that you tend to use a lot
0: i have a little bit it's it's based on the idea of if you're writing an adventure story you want to make sure that it's got adventure and mystery and whatnot and so i you know based on some craft book things and some personal preferences i just kind of make sure that in like this percentage of the story you have to have certain things be revealed to have characters um, begin to try to get themselves out of a predicament, you have to have presented the predicament at a certain point. And um, like I said, it's based on my own personal preferences for, for a sort of more adventure based story. But it's also based on some things I've read in craft books and, and just kind of also field research in, in reading extensively. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Are
1: there more books planned in the series?
0: Yeah, I actually have two more books. One One is kind of done technically in an old first draft, and that's called The Conduit. And then I have another one that is not really done, that sort of flows right from the events of The Conduit, which I think what I may do as I as I continue this series is just combine those into one more longer book and just call it The Conduit. So, okay, neat. But I'm not sure where the end of it goes. So we'll see.
1: (laughs) We will see. Awesome. Well, readers or listeners, I guess, sorry, (laughs) listeners, you can check it out on Amazon. It's only 99 cents. It's quite a steal. So check it out. Thanks. Next time, we're going to talk about the Hulu series, What We Do in the Shadows, and the Freeform series, Motherland, Fort Salem, as well as discuss how our media consumption has changed during quarantine. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at kw KWTaylorWriter.
0: And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you want to email us, you can do that at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop.